0: Welcome to Tech Talk Digital Supply Chain Podcast, where we will help you eliminate the noise and focus on the information and inspiration that you need to transform your business, impact supply chain success, and enable you to replace risky inventory with valuable insights. Join your Tech Talk host, Corinne Bursa, the 2020 Supply Chain Pro to Know of the Year. With more than 25 years of supply chain and technology expertise and the scars to prove it, Corinne has the heart of a teacher and has helped nearly 1,000 customers transform their businesses and tell their success stories. Join the conversation, share your insights, and learn how to harness technology innovations to drive tangible business results. Buckle up. It's time for Tech Talk. Powered. Supply Chain Now.
1: Well, welcome back, Supply Chain Movers and Shakers. Corinne Bursa here, your host for Tech Talk, the digital supply chain planning podcast. You know, in this episode, we're gonna dive into the ever evolving role of the brick and mortar store now retailers are seeking to seamlessly engage with consumers having one experience whether you purchase online or you purchase in person with store pickups click and collect ship from the store and even new incentives to get you back in the store brick and mortar and those hard to find store associates are just working harder than ever So they're quickly becoming the linchpins of that last mile fulfillment and overall retail success. And with us today is an expert that's gonna share some of her insights and give us a better understanding of what's happening with today's leading retailers as they look to leverage their store operations in new and effective ways. I'd like you to join with me in welcoming Nikki Baird, Nikki is with Aptos, and she's got a lot of insight into what's happening with retailers. Nikki, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Corinne. Happy to be here. Well, Nikki, your name may be familiar to some of our listeners here on Tech Talk, and I just want to connect the dots for them. As a former industry analyst covering the area of retail and retail technology, Nikki's name has appeared on a number of research initiatives over the years, and she has spent decades helping retailers to evaluate and prioritize technology investments and process improvements. So Nikki, let's talk about your current role for just a minute. You are head of strategy for Aptos. You've got kind of an interesting vantage point on what's going on in this industry. You know, Aptos, I believe Aptos serves about a 1,000 retail brands. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. Okay, so we're not just talking about a handful of retailers here. We're getting a wide spectrum of retail businesses. And Nikki, this topic of last mile and this new emphasis on brick and mortar. Share with us just a little bit about what you're seeing and how brick-and-mortar footprints the store operations are changing today.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, uh, going back a a bit of a ways to kind of pre-omnichannel, pre-internet days, the the store served every role, right? It was outside of maybe the marketing that triggered a customer to come to a store, the store managed the whole of the, the shopper buying process, if you will, And with with online and with Omnichannel, more and more of that activity shifted to digital and and shifted away from the store. And so uh, over the last 10, 15 years or so, I think it's really become apparent to retailers that the way that the store was designed was really to support a buying process that doesn't happen anymore today. So uh, there's been a question about, well, Do you invest to kind of recapture that upfront part of the buying process, or do you optimize the store to to better fit within the part of the process that it fits in today? And I think retailers have come to the conclusion that they need to do both. Of course, Mm -hmm. you can't just have an easy answer, right? But so that means that you have to do more to provide the kinds of experiences upfront in the shopping process, like events or education, inspiration kinds of things, the kinds of things that aren't easily delivered over a digital channel. And you also need to provide more things that happen under the store's umbrella that that keep the profitability and the economics of the store, you know, kind of balanced or or profitable at, at a minimum. And so fulfillment and using the store as an extension of the supply chain, if you will, has become a really important factor in kind of maintaining
1: what is this future role of the store. So that's a really good point you're making there. So if if the store itself, if a brick and mortar store today is truly multifaceted, right? It's it's not just my brand advocate and the place you go in order to purchase product. It really is a way to connect um, with people. But also, as you point out, Nikki, that role of the store is changing. And historically, we tried to minimize, you know, the back stock or the storage area. And today, our needs are a little different. So talk to us just a little bit about that and in, in how companies might be using that retail footprint, that real estate, just a little bit different.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, purely from the supply chain side of things, that that real estate, you know, it used to be that you thought of it as the last, like you send inventory there, that inventory stays there until it walks out the door in a consumer's arms. And anything you do adds cost that you don't want to have to handle. But the cost dynamics have changed really substantially over the years, especially there's just been such this huge demand for warehouse space. Mm-hmm. Warehouse space has to sit in specific locations from a technology or technology from a transportation corridor perspective, right? Like there's only so many good places to put warehouse capacity. Stores kind of are pretty close to customers. That's what they were designed to be for. And if you're not going to use that space as selling space, it actually may be a better cost profile to send inventory there strategically and then look at how to get that inventory into local customers' hands, it it actually can be more cost-effective to consider the store as an extension of your overall supply chain, as opposed to thinking of it as that endpoint, you know, inventory comes in and then we never touch it again. It's
1: only the customer who touches it after that. And it's interesting that you say that that it can be more cost effective. I got to tell you, that's a little surprising to me because I still think of retail in that traditional sense that that is my most expensive real estate, that store. But I guess if I'm getting multifaceted or multi purposes out of it, maybe I'm using that, and my cost basis looks a little different. Because Nikki, I remember when Walmart rolled out its initiative for online business, right? With order online, pick up in store, come curbside. And this was probably, I don't know, maybe 2019. So before COVID-19 hit, Walmart's online grocery, you know, what they did is they they reorganized the front of store, right? They put these big locker systems in in order to stage the orders for pickup, which is, As many of us know from a supply chain perspective, I mean, that's a supply chain strategy that's happening there in the front of the store, which is some pretty valuable real estate where I want to get that consumer engaged. Now, one of the things that Walmart found is that engaging with consumers online, it actually drove new customers for Walmart. And... Significantly, the average basket value went up nearly 250%. So, if you were to shop in the store, the average basket was about $50. 2019 numbers, before COVID, before we all went online. But let's think about that for just a minute. The average online purchase basket was about $125. So very quickly, I can appreciate I'm getting new consumers and I'm getting bigger baskets. So how do I service that up? But that's one example of a very significant physical change in a retail footprint that quite honestly has continued to evolve for the last couple of years.
2: Yeah, there's, there's additional dynamics to that as well. Like there's some grocery retailers who've seen, Uh, Not bigger baskets on average, but more frequent baskets Mm -hmm. that when you totaled them all up over the typical month's worth of purchases from that consumer was a much greater lifetime value for that customer. So, you know, and then in the non grocery space, we've seen some retailers find that customers that they first acquire in an in store experience actually have a larger lifetime value than customers that they've acquired online. So that I think speaks to the value of the store in in activating that customer and getting them to be a new customer that then has a greater brand affinity than maybe you're really capable of delivering in an online channel.
1: So let's talk about that for just a minute. So if I'm a native direct to consumer retailer, if I was born digital and now I'm starting to open brick and mortar store locations, Do I have an advantage? Do I have the opportunity to kind of rethink these store operations from scratch? Is that true? Or does a traditional brick and mortar retailer have an advantage?
2: I mean, I think a traditional brick and mortar retailer has the advantage in terms of the locations and the location strategy and the fact that they can tap into that immediately, right? They already have that distribution. So now they just need to optimize that distribution as opposed to try to build it all out from scratch. However, I will say, I think that those digital native brands that are opening stores right now, they do have an advantage because they can rethink the store in terms of all of these things that the store never had to support before, like that curbside pickup, or even the ship from store, or events happening in the store. All of those brick and mortar retailers who have these sort of traditional storefronts, they've got some remodeling to do. And I think they have you know they have more conservatism i've found in terms of experimenting in stores because they just have such a big footprint that they ultimately have to move that they you know they don't want to they don't want to find something that works wonderfully but requires remodeling all you know 800 stores or whatever the the business case for that gets sapped pretty quickly whereas if you can design it from scratch then it's a little easier to pull off so some of the established brick and mortar brands we've seen you know, like open a new format and they position it as a new format so that they can kind of reset customer expectations about what that store is going to be like. And then, you know, can eventually absorb the rest of their estate into that. But the North Face actually, or VF brands, is a great example. They have a store, concept store that they've opened in Milan which actually has multiple the VF brands underneath. So it's the North Face and, and there's a couple others that I can never get right, Timberland. And I think there's one more. And that idea of this is a store designed for an omni-channel world and designed for that digitally savvy consumer mm-hmm. is, is really important. And then they're testing that before they kind of take that to all the other
1: brands that they have under their umbrella. So I, I think that's a great example. So a couple of things that you said there. If I heard you correctly, you mentioned that some of the established retailers, right, established from a brick and mortar perspective, tend to be a little more conservative with their redesigns. Did you say that? They're more conservative
2: in how much they test or how radical they get in right. what they want to test, right? They're they're concerned about, you know, the weight of the brand, like part of the value of their company is the brand promise that they've established with their customers. And so typically, rather than taking an existing format and really messing around with it, they, they tend to sort of open something off to the side. It's a little less risky in terms of messing with customer expectations.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that makes sense. And even with some of the, the digital natives, you know, kind of a fail fast strategy. I mean, of course, the first thing that comes to mind for me is, is Amazon. And I recently saw that, you know, Amazon announced that they're going to close 68 brick and mortar locations in the US and in the UK right and yeah. and these are a bunch of different formats that they've tested and they just haven't lived up to expectations or the growth at those locations has been significantly slower than they expected so i do think that's an example and of course it's in Amazon's DNA to try a lot of things and fail fast, but it does set a level of expectation to continue to think about how you use these retail locations, this real estate, to the best advantage.
2: Yep, totally.
1: So, so clearly the physical changes are happening, right? The physical store is changing. Now, we're also increasing or continuing to evolve all of the different shopping options whether it's in person whether it's buy online and pick up in store curbside a hybrid of the two handling returns you know all of these things and and many retailers have struggled to really have one consumer experience one customer experience well what's happening in in that vein just as we think about that consumer engagement And then I want to talk a little bit about what we're asking of the typical retail associate, but let's talk about, you know, that brand consistency, if you will, or that shopping consistency, what can be done in that area?
2: Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot. And and I think one of the biggest challenges I, you kind of have to acknowledge is payment. So when you buy something online and you pay, you could potentially be using a completely different payment service than if you went to that same retailer store and paid with your credit card in a store. And so when you have that kind of disconnect, that like breaks everything else (laughs) down the road, right? You want to buy, you bought something online and you want to return it to a store You can't use the point of sale. You can't just give them your card or you can't just have them credit the card that you had um, that you used. Right. Like all of these complicated things or you want to buy something in a store that you cash and carry and you want to, you know, also have something that you're going to ship to your home. Sometimes that's two completely separate transactions with those two completely payment systems. So that part of it, I think, is is already tough. And then uh, and then I would say that retailers inventory strategies are not. Nearly as sophisticated in taking advantage of omni-channel as they could be, so <laughs> they tend to assort to an e-commerce DC and they treat it like just a massive store. In fact, a lot of them, when you look at their reporting, their e-commerce operation is store number, you know, nine hundred and ninety-nine or whatever. So they treat it like a store from that perspective. I think the the pandemic underscored just how much value there is in having fluidity between, hmm. do I actually use my e-commerce DC to fulfill this order or should I pull this from a store? Uh, and there's lots of advantages to pulling that inventory from a store, as long as you have a holistic inventory strategy that recognizes that some of that inventory that you're sending the store is probably gonna go out of the back of the store instead of out of the front of the store. So. There's still so, lots of lots. of, there's lots of
1: interesting stuff in there. And I know you yeah. and I could really dig into some of that inventory policy management and the dirty little secret that a lot of retailers still maintain two buying organizations, one for e-com and one for store. But I really want to kind of get back to this idea of the last mile and what's happening at that brick and mortar store yeah. and how it's driving additional changes, right? So So what we've just discussed here is that our retail associates not only have to be good at merchandising, right, and engaging with the public or the consumer as they come in, but we're also asking them to do some inventory management and some warehouse picking and maybe even some curbside delivery. Let's talk about how all these changes are impacting really the profile of that typical retail associate? Yeah, I think
2: you know, in line with kind of the comments that we opened with that the store, just what we expect out of a store has changed, but it kind of went through this shrinking period where where we didn't expect a lot out of store because digital was kind of handling a lot of that part of the process. And I think in line with that, we saw retailers' expectations of their store associates also get smaller And that's completely out of the window now. I mean, both in terms of the labor market itself, if you're going to pay somebody $20 an hour to be on a store floor, then you kind of hope that they will be as productive (laughs) as you can possibly make them. But they're also seeing all of these things being thrown at them in terms of, I have to pick orders. I have to help people who are shopping in my store. When I'm picking orders, I might have to actually deal with the potential of a substitution something that does not happen in a warehouse, right? If you go to pick something in a warehouse and it's damaged or it's out of stock, you know, there's something wrong with the inventory, you cancel the order. When that happens in a store, especially if you have a customer who's driving there to pick it up, you have a decision to make about what you're going to do about that. And increasingly you have to rely on that frontline store associate to be the one to make that decision and to figure out how to make that experience a good one for when that customer does come in or, if they have to contact that customer because something went wrong. So we do expect a lot more out-of-store associates today, I think, than we've ever expected out of them because there's so many more things that they're being asked to do beyond, I had to say, just selling. That's a skill all in its own. It is. But it's only one compared to the 10 or 20 that a, a store employee has
1: to manage today. So what can a retailer do to kind of simplify that? you know I, I, obviously aptos has got a point of view in this area in, in how to help those store associates be productive um but wear many hats or at least what we traditionally thought of as many hats right the the role today has changed so maybe it's just one big hat versus lots of lots of hats that get changed from time to time but but how do we so we're in the midst of you know what the industry as a whole what's happening You know, uh, across the world, this great resignation, right? So expectations have changed. Um, You mentioned if I'm going to pay a retail associate $20 an hour. I know Target mentioned paying as much as $24 an hour for some starting positions in certain regions, um, certain locations. That's significant. You've got to sell or move a lot of product in order to support that kind of an investment in our store associates. How do we help them be productive and, you know, and build that kind of retention around this is a great place to work. You're supporting me. You're giving the tools I need. What can you tell us there? I I hate to go back to mobile. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We've been there, done that,
2: or at least tried it multiple times. And it's been very few retailers I found who have really successfully in the last decade pulled off a mobile strategy for their store associates you know more times than not the device ends up back in a drawer whether there's something with the you know the battery life or the functionality of the device itself there's something in the training that gets lost or you know a lot of retailers historically approached mobile solutions as one and done and Mm. never came back around and addressed any of the things that actually made it difficult for store employees to use mobile effectively. It was like, yeah, yeah. When we, when we look at this two years from now, we'll, we'll tackle all that. And in the meantime, that device is dead. It's locked in the drawer, battery's done. It's done. So I, I can say I have never seen the interest in mobile as high as it is right now. And it's because they want to give tools to store associates. They know that they can't hire as many as they want. And they expect those store associates to be more productive. So they want that device that will let that store associate do anything from anywhere. And that's Mm. anything from inventory to fulfillment to customer service, a return, a sale, all on one device. Retailers are very, very interested in reinvesting in those capabilities. So For me, it's a bit of a question of, okay, but what are you going to do differently to make sure that it's successful this time? And I do think there's a couple things. I think one, the usability and the expectations around usability, just the influence of consumer tech has Mm -hmm. really changed that game. So I do see retailers being much more focused on, but is this really going to work when somebody's got one hand on a device and one hand holding, you know, an item, like how are you going to make this work? So they're kind of thinking that through much more. And then I think as well, you know, just that, that training and support, and do we have stores that are designed? Do we have mobile carts that people can use? Mm. Like they're thinking about operationalizing these things much more. So there, there is hope that this time, this time could do it. Mobile could be successful.
1: So uh, along those lines, so I do think mobile, right? Meaning it it can move or the technology moves with wherever the human might be or wherever the consumer might be, right? Either our store associate or our consumer that's coming in and kind of helping with with the tracking process or what's going into um, their basket. I am excited to see what, what continues to evolve in this area. But let me ask this, you know, with those store associates, there's got to be a level of training. How do we onboard them quickly? How do we make it intuitive? You know, they don't necessarily get that job in the retailer and truly understand, you know, inventory or inventory turns or inventory rotation or, or those things. How is the technology evolving, Nikki? I mean, you've, you've been watching this sector and certainly uh, heading strategy for Aptos as well, how do we kind of move that along so that we can bring certainly a digital native worker, you know, somebody who's born with that phone in their hand and and is not afraid of technology and trusts it, but using that mobile technology in a way that we can also kind of augment with some of those important business understandings, if you will.
2: Yeah, you know, some of it is super tactical right like just the consumerization of technology looking at you know how do you navigate the facebook app or TikTok or snapchat and taking a lot of those design principles Mm -hmm. into the software that you deliver into the store i think that's really important you know when you see the three stacked bars in the upper left corner you know that's the menu and that you can touch that it's going to give you some options it's that kind of super tactical thinking Uh, But I think as well, it's the the idea of the iterative part, right? You don't just throw something into the store and then say, deal with it. You watch and see how they use it. And you make changes that you can roll out to them quickly so that they see that you're paying attention. And if there's something that makes this process hard, you're going to do something to fix that. So it requires, you know, the tech stack has had to improve That's something that has historically been a barrier but i would say as much less so now but you have to have an it organization and the intestinal fortitude to say i am going to roll out changes to my stores quarterly or maybe even monthly and you know putting together the organization that can support that and that can support providing the kind of training and awareness to employees so that they know hey new stuff is going to come it's always worth checking this app because there might be something in here tomorrow that wasn't here today that is going to
1: help me make my job easier. So so tell me a little bit, Nikki, about um, the characteristics of a retailer that's really leaning into this, that is maximizing the opportunity. Obviously, it's not going to be perfect, but maybe they've got an aptitude for change and, and evolution over time. But what are some of the things that we should look at or for retailers that may be listening to the podcast that they can think about and maybe compare themselves to a little bit and where they are with getting more mileage out of this kind of last mile opportunity with their consumers yeah
2: i'll I'll give you a it's a pretty specific example but I think it's the kind of capability that you should be looking for both as a consumer and as a retailer trying to provide that capability so uh, Colhan is a customer of Aptos uh, has been for several years they, at NRF, at our the National Retail Federation Big Show, the last the last in person before the pandemic in 2020, and in 2019, they actually had a display in our booth at the show where they were selling shoes. So you bought the shoes there, and then they, they were, were actually just, selling
1: the shoes at NRF. Selling the shoes. Yeah, I did you, see that in your booth, but I didn't realize it was it was active. Let me put it that way. Yes,
2: you could try on the shoes. You could buy the shoes. You could not take the shoes with you. We didn't have an expectation that anybody would want to drag those <laughs> around. Although some people did want to wear them away, so <laughs> props to Kohan for that. But yeah. but what they did was they had set up a temporary courier service. Mm. So you bought in in and Javits, and, Javits, and then yes. <laughs> you had the shoes delivered via courier to your hotel room, and they had a couple stores that were set up to be those delivery points proximate to kind of where they expected everybody to be staying in Midtown. And, and so they had kind of set that up as a temporary thing. They ran it for the three days of the show, and then they kind of turned that back off and went about their business. And I think it's that kind of flexibility of being able to set something up, you know, and take advantage of something that might only be three days long, and then turn that off when you don't need that anymore, or, You know, be able to position something like that for another event. It's that kind of flexibility that I think is really important and, and not being in a position to where you have to say no, because you can't get your systems Mm. to do what you need them to do. That's the most important thing because, you know, we're not like, it could be drone delivery tomorrow. You know, you never know what the next the next thing is gonna be. Everybody's trying to invent these robots that will trundle down the sidewalk and bring your purchases to you. Uh, it could be autonomous driving vending mm-hmm. machines, right? That come up to your door, that could be next. So the the flexibility to be able to experiment and take advantage of those things without it being a two-year integration effort um, I think those are the kinds of capabilities that really will differentiate retailers.
1: So so just briefly in, in that example, so I love the Kohan. You know, I'm a, I'm a shoe person. I like shoes. So it was a great example for me. Um, but in that example, help me understand what are some of the solution components that Aptos brought to the table to enable that type of a pop-up opportunity, right? A pop-up store or yeah. a pop-up retail center that then gets fulfilled elsewhere. Yeah, so it's
2: it's really you know two kinds of separate solutions if you will, historically that we're increasingly seeing be combined. So point of sale, so being able to take that transaction and then the order management part of it where there's something that has to happen to get that inventory to the customer. But the ability to bring together a buy button Mm -hmm. and a delivery or fulfillment commitment, I think being able to put those anywhere and in any combination, that's the future, right? We're like point of sale and speaking about it in terms of just a transaction. uh, You know, one, it kind of oversimplifies what point of sale really is because you've got all these other store operations functions and inventory control and all kinds of stuff on top of it. Um, But that blurring of the line between what we consider a transaction and what we consider an order, uh, managing that transition and thinking holistically about the two, you know, that's something that we've been thinking about for a long time. And having both of those solutions and really trying to converge them together, I think we're, we're really close. We're really close to being able to deliver seamlessly on that promise. That, you know, that's what we bring to the table. That's how we're thinking about this problem is. When you think about point of sale as something that happens in a store and when you think about order management as something that supports online, you've already got a broken promise from your customer's perspective. So we're trying to eliminate those broken promises.
1: Right. That's a great example, Nikki. I feel like we are just starting to scratch the surface here. So how can our Tech Talk audience, the Supply Chain Now community, how can they learn more about what's happening and in this area of last mile and bringing both the e-commerce business or the e-business together with the traditional brick and mortar business? Yes, selfishly, I would
2: have to refer everyone to aptos.com. There's a resources section where we have a ton of material about the profitability of last mile and how to execute it and all kinds of challenges that you have to think through if you're going to be successful in tackling it. Uh, so that resources section at aptos.com will definitely cover a lot of that. And then, of course, I do occasionally write about that topic. Just occasionally, right? Just yeah. occasionally. <laughs> I wish I had more time in the day. I would write about it much more often. But forbes.com, you can find uh, my column there. And I definitely spend a good deal of my time talking about those omnichannel channel challenges.
1: Yeah. And, and for our listeners, um, that's aptos. That's A-P-T-O-S dot com and look for Nikki's column in Forbes. That's Nikki, N-I-K-K-I, Baird, B-A-I-R-D. And one of the things I love about the way Nikki writes is she makes it very practical for you. So she's not trying to overwhelm you with her depth of knowledge, but she's trying to put it in really practical terms so that you can apply it and look at your opportunities uh, before you. And then certainly Nikki, can we offer that people connect with you on LinkedIn? Is that absolutely LinkedIn,
2: okay. Twitter, uh, and through Forbes as well. All of those are avenues to find and connect
1: with me and more than happy to do that. Okay, great. And so I'm going to give you the final word on this topic of last mile. Any uh any thought you want to leave with our audience today? You know, I think the biggest deal is is to not think about this
2: as something static. Like this isn't something that you set a strategy and make a decision and then let it ride forever. I think what a lot of people are realizing now is that you have to, this is a dynamic thing and you have to constantly revisit both your assumptions and the operating environment that you're working in and re-optimize for how all of these things are changing because they're all changing very, very fast. So if I had sort of one final recommendation, look at your fulfillment operations And don't think about it like a warehouse at all. Think about it much more dynamic and how you can get more dynamic and how you support those operations.
1: Yeah, that that is great advice. Don't think of them as as separate nodes in your business these days where your store is one node and your your distribution centers or your warehouse are others. Think about how they can leverage and cross-pollinate and make the best use of that inventory that's available to satisfy your consumer needs. With that, I wanna thank you for joining us today on Tech Talk, where our goal here is to help you eliminate the noise. Focus in on the information and a little inspiration to help you transform your business. And we wanna help you also replace some of that risky inventory with valuable insights. So we'll see you next time here on Tech Talk, powered by Supply Chain Now.